Do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Yeah, like everybody has a version of it, but I think it shouldn't debilitate you. Like I think, look, self-deprecation can be great, but sometimes women in particular and Irish people, Irish women in particular, can be too prone to self-deprecating. And I've talked about this before, but like you're the first line of defense in the narrative that you want to put out into the world. So if you're saying something bad about yourself, whether that's toxic talk or, oh, I'm not good enough, that will that's the impression you're giving out to the world. And we all have those feelings, right? Like we all go get up in the morning going, oh my God, I'm terrified. And there's definitely been moments of, throughout my career where I'm like, oh, this is too big or this is too scary, but you just gotta, you gotta power it through. My guest today is Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour magazine, one of the biggest female-focused media titles in the United States. Born and raised in Cork, Ireland, Barry became the first editor-in-chief of a Condé Nast publication to have never previously worked in print media when she was appointed by Anna Wintour. Under her leadership, Glamour has reached record-breaking monthly audiences and grown their video-first content enormously, with Barry recently interviewing the US First Lady, Dr. Jill Biden. Prior to joining Glamour, Barry served as executive producer for social and emerging media at CNN Worldwide. Under her leadership at CNN, the network became the most followed news organisation in the world. Barry has also worked as a reporter and journalist for RTE, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation News Talk and the BBC. In this conversation, we discuss imposter syndrome, growing up seeing strong, powerful women in Irish media and finding yourself in places you never thought you would. Samantha Barry, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm great, I'm loving that you're wearing your New York. Is that a Yankees cap? It's a Yankees hat. You know what it is? I've got, I'm going to something tonight, so I have neither my hair or my makeup done today. So I was like, okay, I'll just put on a hat. So my New York Yankees hat. So Can I just say, I'm, like following you over the past few years has blown my mind. You know, young girl from Cork. And I know, fun, fun, fun New York. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely make the most of the city, I think. And I get, I'm very lucky that like I get to go to fabulous things, which is fun. Tonight's the... um. The Clooney Foundation have their annual awards. So they do a thing where it's all the award people for social justice. It's in the New York Public Library, which is like one of my favorite places in New York. And I love an excuse to get dressed oh, up. I love it. Oh my God, you're just reminding me this time last year I was there. I wasn't at that award, but I was in town while that, yeah. while that was on. And um, of course, you just come off the back of Fashion Week. How was that? Good. Yeah, I love Fashion Week. Honestly, this was the first time because post-COVID that I really felt like it was back. Um, it's enjoyable like there's so much fun and a lot of the glamour team get to go to different shows as well and the beauty team go backstage they were backstage at Fuenza and they had the best time and then I see some of the other team like when we're running around in New York feels very very busy in September also with like UN um, General Assembly like there's just September is a it really does feel like back to school vibes in, in New York so do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome yeah, like everybody has a version of it but I think if it's debilitating, it shouldn't debilitate you. Like, I think, look, I think self-deprecation can be great, but sometimes um, we do, uh, women in particular and Irish people, Irish women in particular can be too prone to self-deprecating. And I've talked about this before, but like you're the first line of defense in the narrative that you want to put out into the world. So if you're saying something bad about yourself, whether that's toxic talk or, oh, I'm not good enough, 
that will that's the impression you're giving out to the world and we all have those feelings right like we all go get up in the morning going oh my god I'm terrified and there's definitely been moments throughout my career where I'm like oh this is too big or this is too scary but you just gotta you gotta power it through and how do you no I don't know I don't don't get it as as much anymore I don't think I think every time I start a new job I get it but I kind of keep it in because I've also seen some I have seen some of the best leaders of the world in rooms in board meetings and I am sometimes underwhelmed by people that are in positions of power and I'm like like if they could do it why can't any of us so I think sometimes people are are they're their own harshest critic and they shouldn't and actually that's an interesting thing though right so culturally obviously we know as Irish people that you know it's 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 kind of seen as a positive to be humble and a little bit self-deprecating transport that then to the US where it's very much like Mm. hey I'm the best thing known to mankind how do you manage to find your balance that you're still stepping up to the plate but you're not losing your roots yeah I think you can have humor Mm -hmm but you don't have to be massively like you can have humor about yourself and a situation and you can feel humbled and, and kind of lucky and all of those things. But I think I'm probably halfway between the like Irish, totally self-deprecating mentality. And then the, like the American self-promotion, I'd say I'm somewhere in the middle. And I think bringing those two worlds and kind of get finding your middle is, is, Mm -hmm. I, I can be I can joke about myself a lot but I just yeah I do lean in like I like the American sensibility of like yes I can or we can do this or you know I think it it aims it helps you aim big it helps you see a bigger vision for yourself and for your team and for everything you're yeah doing. and uh, speaking of powerful uh, women and powerful people I mean you're you report directly to Anna Winter <laughs> <laughs> has a great sense of humor by the way yeah i do i do yeah i mean you know, she's my boss she's your boss but for every like for most people who have any impression and i'm sure it's completely false i've never met anna it's like you know this it's the devil wears prada but presumably she's not like that at all do you know what i i find her very refreshing in in terms of being a very straightforward she's straightforward she's a very straightforward boss um and i think you know we meet constantly she's really invested in glamour and what we're doing with it globally and uh, she'll tell me when she likes something and when she doesn't. And sometimes I have to convince her that she's going to like something before I do it. And I think, but having somebody that you, first of all, utterly respect, I think is important in, 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 in a boss, but also understanding people have different styles of leadership. Hers is really direct, really straightforward. And she's very, I've seen her throughout her years um, working with her, been a massive a real like person that champions new talent and whether that's like the editors that she picks for the titles or that's in the world of fashion she she um it's nice to watch that and I feel like I hope I have a little bit of that for my team and the people that I meet as well what's the thing that surprised you the most uh, about Anna Wintour when you started working with her that you weren't expecting I think it didn't necessarily surprise me because I knew her before I started working with her but she has a wicked sense of humor (laughs) So that is very enjoyable and very much um, tapped into the zeitgeist of what people are chatting about or talking about. And and I think that would maybe, maybe for some people is surprising, the, the humour part. Uh-huh. Well, listen, we're here to crunch the numbers. So let's go right back to the beginning. When it comes to your family, what's a meaningful for you there? Well, there's five of us. So I always think, and it is my favourite number. So I think there's five, like my parents had us 
the three kids really young. So like, I think by the time my parents had my brother, who's the youngest of like, we're Irish triplets. So like Davina's a year older than me, my sister, Brendan, my brother's a year younger than me. So they were really close together. And I think honestly, my parents had the three of us by the time they were like 23, 24. So they were very young. That blows my mind. Uh, which wasn't, I know, right? If you think about it now, I think about it now and it just blows my mind. Could you imagine you had three kids by the time you were 24? Well, listen, I'm in my 40s now. My mom, like I was in my 20s when my mom was my age. Like it's just like, it, 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 but it was so normal. It was so normal. And it was, it's interesting to see that change quite dramatically over um, just the course of one generation. What what was the the average age of marriage in, in Ireland and, and the expectations around it. So the five of us, five is a really important number and we're very close family. Um, we talk all the time. I am, I am so glad that I live in the world of FaceTime because my nieces and nephews, and I talk to my sister three times a day, I call her on the walk to work to World Trade Center. She calls me on her lunch break and I call her on my way home when she's going to bed in Sweden. I talk to my brother all the time. He's in Clarny. Um, and I, it, I wonder what that would be like if we didn't have FaceTime and the technology that we like have now. We didn't have a landline in our house. Like we did, like we grew up without a landline. So like the fact that again, we go from this world of like no phones, like landline. I remember, I think I remember it being such a dramatic thing when we got Sky Cable. I'm just like, oh my God, these channels. Um, and that, what these kids have now, like my, I talked to my nieces and nephews and my sister was trying to explain to them, um, there's four, I, my sister has three kids, she wanted three like us, um, and then my brother has one. And my sister was trying to explain to her kids about the fact that you had to watch something at the t- same time everybody else was watching it. And they could not fathom That's that like we all sat down on a Thursday night to watch Friends, right? Or remember loving my so-called life when yes. I was a teenager yes. and but you, yeah. you, but you had to watch it at the same time like we didn't have a I don't do, we didn't even we didn't have VCR like we didn't have any of that like you're you're, you're recording it and you're playing it back like and so. I'm the same and I'm very close I'm like you I'm very close to like my siblings and my my nephews mm. and nieces and I think it's you know technology has has liberated me in a way because in the past mm. I used to feel guilty especially when they were very young and, mm. I, and I listen and I know from following you that you go home and you see them regularly but even the other day like my eldest niece is is nine or she no she, she will be 10 in December and the other mm. day like I get this this FaceTime audio clearly from her but it's like then I hear this accent going hello can we speak to Darren and it's her and her friend Frank calling me I'm like so you kind of like this doesn't really work because I know your number and they're like oh we found the phone I'm like that's just brilliant you know you wouldn't as you say 20 years ago you couldn't have done that I would like I sometimes think about the generations that came before me even in New York in like the 70s and the 80s and the 60s like they really didn't get to communicate with their family the way that we do thanks to technology so I'm forever grateful yeah sure actually just before Christmas I traveled down to where my family my dad's family are from or half them at least in Tipperary like literally in in the middle of nowhere it's like a townland it's kind of nothing there and um, I remember I met one of so my dad's aunt left when she was 17 to the U.S. Now, she passed away about yeah. two or three years ago, like at the age of 90 odd. So she was spent 75 years of her life here. And I met one of her neighbors who remembers the day that her and her husband, Jerry, were leaving to get the bus to Dublin, to get the ferry mm. to the United States. And they said it was like a wake. 
because they thought they would yeah. never ever see them again. And here we are, mm. FaceTiming. Here we are, just FaceTiming. <laughs> I love it. I have to say, my parents, my parents are in Bantry though. It's it's quite. Uh, my parents live in Bantry. They moved there after my dad's from Bantry, and my mom's from um, Bear Island, and they moved there after all of us had left. We grew up close to Cork City in Ballincolly. And when you go to their house, there is no phone reception. You have to walk like half a mile. So you're just like, the Wi-Fi is not that good. So it is, they're still in this little cocoon of like non-communication, which I think they, they enjoy. And it is like stepping a little bit back in time. Like when I um, would visit, like you have to walk up the street to like try to get some, some bars on your phone. I kind of like, like that. Sam, what did your parents do? Are they in the media at all? Oh my God, no. But they're massive, like massive media consumers. Like even from, like even from a young age, like I just, and I think it's an Irish thing. Like the constantly, um, like the radio was on or you'd be sitting down watching news or like the newspapers. We always had the examiner in our house because we're from Cork. Cork. Um, so Matt, no. No, massive consumers and massive, like my mom's a massive reader, but no, not in media. Um, and so I think I, I remember when I started my first job in Orgy doing overnights at 2FM, they would stay up to like what? hear me being awful. And so that, well, hold on. That's a nice segue into the number that changed everything for you in your career. I would say 12 because midnight, midnight was when I started my first job in broadcasting. And it was, I had done a master's in journalism in DCU, which is a really, really impressive course. I think it's two years now. It was one year at the time. Um, and I was in college with uh, all the lads from um, Second Captains. We all, <laughs> we were all in the same, no uh, and we lived together, myself and um, some of those lads and, and in Drum Contra. Are they sharing horrible What was really good at, Yes. yes, Mark Horgan, yeah. Murph, all of it, like all those guys. I love yeah. them. Yeah, they're good. We were all in college together. Circa Glacken as well, who's an amazing um, documentary director and producer. And so the MAJ in DCU was really impressive, like a really hands-on course. And at the end of it, you do an internship and you're all, you know, c- competing for these internships and there's maybe two or three in RTE and there's everywhere I I was lucky enough to get one of the RT ones and I did my internship and out of the internship I got offered my first like freelance shift and it was uh, midnight it was 12 a.m to 7 6 30 or 7 in the morning for 2 fm and radio once you did the overnight oh gosh and honestly so you write the bulletin and then you go in and read the bulletin oh god like like when I listen back, Darren, to some of my like uh, when I at the time even like my parents had recordings of some of my first book. I was so bad. My writing was good, but my presentation was so bad. And I remember I would just mangle people's names, like, and I still do it to this day. Like I would just absolutely destroy the names. Like if you were a name, if you were a political leader on a bulletin. Like you were not. Like at one stage, this was a. Uh, one story that like stays out for me it was like I was coming on and whatever I had to stay on a little extra and I can't remember who the DJ was that was coming on on 2FM but there had been an incident at a Naz concert in um 
and I think either somebody had been injured or something had happened and it was the last bulletin of the day for me so it was early in the morning and I was like there's been an injury at the NACE concert and like they could not stop laughing and it, when Gigi came on they were like How, how's NACE doing with his uh I would mangle I mangled a lot of like um names and I remember also I think it must have been one of the early times there was either an Olympics or a World Cup. I think it was an Olympics and there was a lot of names that I destroyed and somebody in the newsroom, I don't know who it was, but it was one of the older broadcasting women who like just I revered and she said, say it fast, say it with confidence and just get through it. And so she was like, even if it's wrong, if you say it fast with confidence, people aren't good. So what I was doing before that was like, I would like stop and stumble and like kind of pause halfway through the name because I knew I'd messed it up. And she was like, no, just, just keep going. going. I love that. Commit to it. Yeah. Commit to it. Yeah. Com- commit to I had it. no idea you did overnights at RT2 or 2FM. Overnights and 2FM and Radio 1. And there was usually two or three of us. There was always another person with you overnight. So like one of you would do Radio 1 and then one would do 2FM. And, uh, there was, they would always, there would be like food on the, uh, there was a food trolley. I remember this very vividly. And depending on how hungry the people had been before, whether you were left with any good sandwiches for your overnights or not. <laughs> I think we used to sometimes order Eddie Rockets because we were in Donnybrook. So we'd go order Eddie Rockets and like somebody would run out and get it in between the bulletins. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it was good. But you learned, I learned a lot overnights. Like I learned a lot. And I think for me in the world of broadcasting, if you put me, I think I would have sank maybe if you'd put me in a prime hour early on because, and this is, I often say this to some of like the younger people on my team, either at Glamour or, or at CNN, where it's like, take those opportunities when you're young and when you're starting out to do the unsociable hours, the late nights, the early mornings, the weekends, where there's maybe a little less eyeballs, intensity and pressure on you and you can learn your craft a bit better. And I, 12 for me, the midnight shift I learned a lot on broadcast writing finding my voice saying the name right all well, of that I think that I mean it's it's very wise um advice because it's gaining your flying errors isn't it I mean no one wants to start mm. out flying a jumbo jet you know what I mean you do your thing yeah. you take you know uh, and I was saying I started out on uh, city radio Dublin city fm mm. with a, a chat no. show called Kennedy's couch and <laughs> and again I was the researcher producer celebrity booker all that yeah. type of thing and each week I had to get down to the station on a Wednesday my show was Wednesday at midday mm-hmm. with a mini disc and if my yeah. mini disc didn't get there in time there was no show and I had no and again yeah. going back to what we were saying earlier on about technology and you know now on my my phone I can do everything you know back then mm-hmm. I had no editing facilities everything was quite expensive and out of reach so I if we were doing this interview then I would sit down and say, hi, Sam, nice to meet you. So when I first record on this mini disc, we're now live. And that's, you know. When it comes to love, and this is an interesting one for any Sex and City fans, when it comes to love, what's your number, Samantha Barry? Um, I feel like my number's infinity because I don't know if I haven't worked out yet. I'm still, you know, I'm dating in New York. I've been in love a couple of times. Once with an Irish man and then... Once with an Australian when I lived in Papua New Guinea and then another time with uh, an American and, and an Englishman. But I, so it's, it's like the UN of love, but no, I feel like infinite. I haven't necessarily worked it out. 
fully yet. So yeah, dating in New York. But dating in New York, like infinity. I don't know if I'd consider it tricky. I, maybe it's a, a minefield. No, I feel like I'm very optimistic. Like I've, I've met amazing people. I've been in love in New York and I've had great relationships and I've had plenty of single time. Um, it's a, I think you have to, back to that thing we talked about at the start, you have to be very confident and maybe thick skinned in yourself <laughs> dating in New York and very, um, but you, there's some of the most interesting people in the world, including those to date, are here in the city. So, do you find people are intimidated by you? God, I hope not. I don't know. I don't think I'd be dating people that would be. You mm. know what I mean? I think. Um, I don't think you're going to go on a date with me if you're going to be intimidated. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not terrified. My, my brother would say otherwise. But I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm not you, scary. You're <laughs> successful. You've uh, you, you know you're very successful in your career. You're very strong independent Irish woman with yeah. but I guess you know you, you, the right man will rise to the challenge I feel like I feel very I'm very happy being single so being in a relationship is like it has to add to my life rather than like you know and and I love being in a relationship I totally do but yeah I think it's somebody that meets me where I need to meet them Listen, talk to me about age there, and because you know people say age ain't nothing but a number. But in terms of you, what's the the number that's been really significant in your life when it comes to age? Okay, well, I will just say off the bat, and I know people have said this to me before. I got into my forties. Your forties are best. My forties are like I love being in my forties. I love it. Yeah, no, I love it. For I've never felt better I've never felt sexier I've never felt more financially secure I've never felt more like I know myself and my boundaries and what I will and won't you know enjoy or put up with or whatever so I I, I do feel like there I'm 42 now so like the moments of like I've, I feel like every year in my 40s I've felt better and I, I've just loved when, so, when and I don't so, the same so, age yeah oh I love yeah. it so I feel like, I think when I've heard people say that before, I like in my thirties, I was like, eye roll. I was like, oh God, like, like not eye roll, but like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Whatever. Um, but it is very true. There's some other years I just loved. I loved being 28 for some reason. I loved, like, I just remember like adventure and like, I did a lot of traveling when I was 28 and I saw a lot of the world. And 28 was just this like year that I felt very, I don't know. I felt like, I, I loved it. I loved 28 and I loved 35 because I moved to New York when I was 33. And I think I must've been two years in, I was at CNN. I just remember being 35 being this like solid number that I was like, yes, I'm, en I'm enjoying 35. But I think, I don't know if I've hit, hit my best age uh, yet. Do you know what? I love that. Everything about that I love. And, you know, and I think what you've articulated there is pretty much exactly how I view new age mm. in the sense that, I often feel sad when I hear people lament an age gone past because I'm like, in mm. a way, it's not living in the now because I'm like, you know, what? I mm. love my life now. I'm so happy. You know, I, there are ups and downs. Of course, that's life. But any other like I was having this conversation with a, a friend recently. He's like, oh, my God, I'd love to be 25 again. I'm like, no, I, I, I've done that. No. I've been there. Why would I want to go and do it again? Yeah. I've enjoyed it. I had a great time. And I look back at certain years going, that was great. But yeah, the best is yet. Yeah, exactly. And that is an, a mantra for life, if you ask me. And in terms of then your personal journey, is there a number that you would rather forget? 
I feel like like in the moments of like I'd rather forget. I think probably the only thing that really stands out because I am somebody that doesn't really regret anything or just like I feel like everything is part of your story, whether that is like it's part of who you are. I would say if I, you know, maybe the most intense were like the, like I got I was in um, when I was in Papua New Guinea, I was working for the ABC, um, which is the Australian broadcaster. And it's a it's a country that is pretty polarizing between the haves and the have nots. And carjacking is a, a massive issue there. And I was carjacked. So I was like basically dragged out of my Jeep and held at gunpoint. And the whole thing probably took, I would say not even three minutes, but those three minutes were pretty traumatizing for me. And I remember being, I went in and it was the only time I really done therapy, not that I'm against therapy. I'm totally open to it. But the only time I did like pretty intensive therapy was post that. And it was those minutes like that when you're kind of, I think with anything with it, whether you're mugged mm-hmm. or anything, when there's an act of violence against you, I think that can stay with you in a really deep seated yeah. way, unless you address it. And for me with the, with Papua New Guinea, I, I flew out immediately um, straight away afterwards to my sister was in Sydney at the time with her boyfriend, now the father of her three children. Uh-huh. Um, and I was doing the Irish, I was making jokes about it. I was like making jokes about it. And what I needed to do was come to peace with like that violence in that moment. And the, and so I did, um, uh, it's interesting because I can now talk about it really openly and I don't have what, for, for a good two years afterwards, every time I even thought about it, like the adrenaline would like, my heart rate would go up. I would feel the adrenaline in my mouth and I would almost not relive it, but like feel that feeling of tense of like having being held at gunpoint. So I think, again, I don't think I'd like, re- like regret it because I didn't do anything to make that happen. But like, that is, I think for me, a substantial couple of minutes and a number mm. in my life that I'm like it it it, it made that's, tra- that's traumatizing and I think what what it, you know yeah. it's there's so many things there and I'm not a therapist but it essentially attacks your your feeling of security within you know that's it. yeah and, like, and the, the therapy as well is like you have to and it, it's so interesting because the therapy that I went through for it it's like you have to get to a place where you could verbalize it and you could talk about it without reliving it phys- physically mm-hmm again and so that was like when I got to that stage then it was like I was like in a place where I wasn't reliving the trauma of that violence like when I talk about it so I can talk about it now really like openly and not have the physiology of it so well actually only recently and I've never experienced anything as traumatic as that but only recently I was well attempted mugging for the very first time yeah see this is just like what happened like the, the violence against somebody it's such a or if anybody, even when, like when you talk to people and they talk about their house was robbed, yeah. even if they're not in it, that's a bit like, that's an act of violence against yeah, you. Yeah, it's a total intrusion. Yeah, I was in Dublin. It was a few weeks ago. I was with my boyfriend. I was walking home. We'd had a gorgeous evening and quick version of the story. I discovered, I noticed someone was behind me, crossed the street to see if he'd not stopped following. And he didn't. He came up, covered his face. Give me everything you have. Uh, you know, call us bags. Give us everything you have. And like, oh, stop the funny it. thing is, like, I'm six foot one, and my boyfriend's like very yeah. close to my height and size, and you know we're fit, healthy young guys. This guy wasn't like he was smaller than both of us, but you could see a deranged 
Like this man had yeah. nothing to lose in his eyes. So anyway, we managed yeah. to get out of there and, you know, no one was harmed. Did you, did you give me? No, it did not. I mean, I mean, mater- at this stage, material things are not, I'm just like, it's take true. It. I actually had an umbrella and I held it out and I said, don't come any closer. Yeah. And then he, he paused for a second and then I could just see in him that this man is, you know, this, it, it's not a level playing field here. So I just said, come on. Yeah. And we ran, got away, but it was upsetting. And for, I noticed yeah, for like a, especially for a week or so, I was very jumpy. You know. Yeah, looking over your shoulder. Yeah, that was it. And yeah. Listen, people have much worse like um, encounters, but I completely relate to that. So I understand when you say you're not trying to change the past and you've no regrets, but at the same time, there's yeah. certain moments that you could probably live without. Totally. And it's interesting because somebody asked me recently, I, like I've, uh, since Papua New Guinea, I've always lived in big cities and I've never really driven. And so the last time I significantly drove was like around this time. And I don't like... Look, I live, I've lived in New York and before that I lived in London. So there's no necessarily need for me to be in a car. But it, I was like, do you know what? The last time I actually was in a, like significantly in a car was this time. And it maybe that's why I haven't been like running out to get my driver's <laughs> well, license. Thank God you're in a city that you don't need one. What's the number that changed your life? I would say... I feel very sentimental about my New York cell number, which is 917. So for anybody that does like Sex and City, it's like, it's the OG Manhattan. <laughs> um, like, so it, the start of my mobile number is 917. And I think when I arrived, the 917s were running out. So like in 2014. So like now if you come to New York, you can't get 917. So I feel very like, the, I feel very... Like I hold on to it with my with my heart, and it, you know, it was for me. It was like a moment of moving to New York. When was that? How was long a, ago was that, Sam? Twenty fourteen. So no, so nine, nine years. It'll be ten years to my, next year. Yeah, my tech, my decade next you year. You ever envisioned you'd be and, there for um, ten years? No, and do you know what? New York was never really on my mass radar. I always wanted to live in London. And I loved London and I was in, I was bawling, crying, leaving London. And I actually, I, in, in my naivety, was so sure I was going to come to New York and stay here for a year and do the CNN job for a year and see if I liked it. And if I wanted, I could get transferred back to CNN in London. That was honestly, that was my thinking walking in, in, and, it, 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 um, and I know it's different for every, like, there's definitely people here that like, um, it's their dream. It was honestly, it wasn't. It surprised me and how much I fell in love and w- w- where my life took me here because my dream had always been to live in London. I loved London. I loved a lot of things about it. I worked at the BBC and I loved the Sunday roast. I liked the sense of humor. I loved the proximity to be able to get home when you wanted, like pretty easy. But yeah, so New York surprised me in changing my life in a significant way. And of course, you you um, became became the proud owner of your own property there recently that's a massive mile i know i just bought a place in gramercy i love that i know which i'm sitting in now it has to i have to do it up so we're in all my old furniture my rental is in here and i'm looking at i don't even i'm 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 set up here where like i I could find the socket in the kitchen so i've got where it's a work in progress which i'm hoping will be done by thanksgiving but i i love it it's in gramercy which is like I love the neighborhood. I'm at tree level. It's a pre-war building. Oh. I'm just, I have a doorman. I've never had a doorman before. I just like, I go out and get the doorman coffee in the morning when I'm going out. And that's like, it's, I feel like very New oh York. Yeah, it's it, it's great. It makes me very proud. But it's it's interesting because, you know, I grew up in a time where like, uh, and even with my parents, and I think this is, again, there's a, this Irish sensibility of like owning a piece of the world mm. is like, you know, 
such an important part of like um security I suppose I didn't have that because I just hopped around right London and New York and like most people I was like rent 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 means I don't have an anchor here but there's something um quite special about putting roots down and having a place to call my own I think that was like a real um something I worked towards I felt really proud of myself this year if I'm being honest I felt really proud of myself this year when I when I closed when I closed on the apartment, which is like this, this whole thing with a co-op board in New York, which Jesus, oh my God, they literally, they want more than the green card. Like everything you've ever done in your life needs to be assessed. And then you have to go through the board interview and all of that. But when the day I closed, my sister asked me to make videos. And literally, as I was like walking out of the office, like signing, I sent her a video and I just started crying because I was like, I'm so proud that I have a little piece of New York now. And it, it makes me, yeah, really proud. So I hopefully hopefully it'll be decorated the oh. way I want it to be. I've got like this vision of what I want it to look like. So I'm, well, I'm so happy project. for you. I'm proud of you. No, I'm proud you. of you. And you know, <laughs> you have to come visit. One hundred percent on you to New York City. And here's the thing as well. I feel that we live in this world where people have this expectation that everything is like Instagram perfect the moment you turn the key. That's not life. I mean. No, grow, no. grow into your space I think the, the homes yeah. I love the most are the homes where you can see someone has evolved in them it's not like cookie yeah. cutter you know oh my god I moved in and it's all done grow into it give yourself yeah. that like give no. yourself that space because that's what makes a home in totally. my opinion yeah and at my like when I walked in my first thing was like I can't wait to have a Christmas tree in this apartment <laughs> like I just like you know what? like such a Christmas freak and I was like this was like I don't know April oh, I saw it yeah the, I first saw the apartment in April and then I was like I was like so that's what I, I was kind of working fireplace as well which is rare in the city so I'm like I have this idea of like Christmas tree if it's done by the time I have a Christmas tree up listen I know this is a difficult question to to answer no one can tell the future but do you see yourself now in New York for the foreseeable long term I think for the foreseeable, I'd always be open to places. And I I think also one of the things I talked about this year, I used to do so much travel. Now everything I do is for work. So I've got to, I've got to parse out some personal travel. Like there's places I want to go back to. So I think, yes, in terms of like where I'm going to be, it's in New York for the foreseeable. I'm always open to London, but New York really. Um, And then I want to do some more like, travel but it's when you're in New York like my brother's coming to visit with my niece like next week like people love coming here you know so it's kind of fun to have but, where's on your yeah. where's on your bucket list for travel if you like your top two or three. do you know what I want I want to go back to um Argentina because I went with no money and backpacking and I had the time of my life and I love the steak and the dancing and the late nights and Argentinian men are very beautiful um, oh, yeah. and so I'd like to yeah, I'd like to go back to Argentina I've never been on a safari mm-hmm. and I want to go on a safari um so any recommendations would be great there are two of the things back to Argentina and um safari well I can give you recommendations of safari and actually I will okay. take your recommendations from for Argentina because I'm hoping to go oh, yeah. in the new year to Buenos Aires oh yes yeah. oh my god I'm obsessed yeah. like obsessed What number do you check regularly? Like my credit score. I talk a lot to women about their credit score. So like my credit score, I think so it's interesting. It's it's kind of different over here um, 
where like so I arrived in New York as credit invisible because you don't have any and you have to anything whether it's that this I, I remember when I arrived I didn't have a credit score so CNN had to back my mobile phone plan because they again and also even rent an apartment it's a real debilitating thing but it's not easy to it it it's if you with a couple of moves you can um grow it significantly so whether that's like having different lines of credit and paying it back immediately and you know there's a couple of ways to not not gain the system but like credit scores are an important thing in america what, what, and you do? what are your health. what are your top tips then for kind of your top credit score hacks so to speak it's so interesting because a lot of people are credit invisible in the u.s which means you're like you come in with a zero and you've got to work it my tip was like it's a slow and steady pace with really um so like getting an, a bank account, getting a, a card, even you've got to get a, it's kind of a messed up system where it's based on how many lines of credit you have and how quickly you pay it back and what percentage of uh, your credit you actually spend. So let's say if you can get a credit card with a thousand dollar limit, you should only probably spend a thousand, a uh, hundred dollars on that and make sure you pay it back early. So you're showing basically that you have a credit line but you only spend 10% of your credit line and you pay it back on time. There's just like, there's little um, things that you could do to gain the system or you can get different. Like I remember when I was first started talking to my bank about getting my credit score up, they were like, do you want a car loan? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want a car loan. Um, but just being really accountable. I think I, I, at Glamour, like one of the things we've done a lot is talk to women about money and just owning your financial future and, and growing that F off fund that you need, which is really important. Something I didn't really realize until my thirties, how important fund? it was to what's have. It called? It's called an F off fund. Like as an I'm not going to swear. Oh really? All right. Okay. And what's that for? Yeah. And like, um, the concept is that for like the bare minimum of social, like, like, uh, financial security, you should have, six months of um like three to six months so three months of emergency living saved and what that means is like that's your bear that's your table stakes right whether you make you know 20k a year or you make 100 whatever it is right you should have three months that's your first security thing is because and lots of women in particular don't have that banked away but what that if you do not have that and make ways to have just that's your basic your three months if you lose a job if you're in a bad relationship, you need to get out of, if you need to get out of a bad lease, whatever it is, that you have a three to six month buffer and creating that FO fund is like the first, the building box of financial security. And what is surprising, we, we did it, we, we, my first issue at Glamour was the money issue. We talked a lot about money because it was something that was really important to me to have a conversation around. And, um, and it was interesting how many people, but women in particular, live paycheck to paycheck and don't have that building block of uh, uh, financial security, which is that FO fund. Now, once you have that, then we can start talking about where you're investing and divesting and all of those things. But like, that is the core that people didn't have and don't have that needs to be, you know, the base I, I mean, of I, like, I, your financial security. I have noticed under your tenure at Glamour that you've definitely, you know, it's become much more issues-based and very empowering. Mm. And I know you've uh, multiple times now you've been at the White House and Bill mm -hmm. Biden yeah. and Kamala, Hanging out. all these people. I mean, that this like cohort of people, it's amazing that you are, you know, you're getting this support behind it. What do you, what do you attribute that to? 
Well, do you know what? I thank you for saying that it feels more issue-based, but the reality is Glamour's been around since 1939, and since day dot, it's been, I think, underestimated at how powerful it has been in, in fighting issues for women. So, like, it was in the forefront of fighting for Roe v. Wade back in the day, now that we have to fight for it again, is is, is debilitating in the U.S. It was at the forefront of, like, um, you know, uh, encouraging women to get credit cards when they couldn't like right like how do you get a credit card when you, you have to have your husband sign for you so I think it, what is interesting is I'm really um, I'm we're, we're writing a book about glamour's history and, 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 and deep diving into what we have actually been doing around issues for decades is really it's really kind of it gives me energy and hope and kind of kind of motivates me but basically yeah we've done a lot around um women's rights at the moment paid leave is something we really care about that's yes. what we've gone to the white house to talk about yeah um the u.s is one of six countries in the world that doesn't have paid leave which is so embarrassing um we obviously talk a lot to women around uh, access to reproductive rights um the only ever hate mail I ever got into Glamour um, from my editor's letter was when I wrote about repeal the Eighth Amendment. And it was like older Irish American ladies that wrote me letters mm. saying that I didn't represent their Ireland and I actually didn't. And I'm OK with that. Um, and when I was, was um, you know, saying that I was really proud of Ireland for, you know, repealing the Eighth. And I lived in a, this was 2018. And I, I lived in a country where I was afraid that they were going to take that right away from women, mm. which they have here. Um so that like, and then as we look, I'm looking ahead to next year, and I'm really on un- trying to understand, well, how women voters are going to play a, a you know, a, they're they're not a monolithic group, but like women voters will be a really essential part of um, the election in 2024, and what they care about, whether that's again paid leave, economy is obviously center of what women often go to the, um, women often go to the polls around policy rather than person mm-hmm. and i think that would be really interesting you think women in general and me to watch women in general are more pragmatic and yeah which ties <laughs> in, you know and, and i can say that and yeah. i i agree i think you know and i i like that quality i look at my my mom you know and it's like women get things done from the right place i always feel and actually, mm-hmm. what in terms of i'm interested to hear your views in terms of um how your kind of upbringing as an Irish woman and I think we mm. do have a strong heritage and lineage of very very strong independent women mm. down through history how that has helped you as an expat working in the US now yeah. fighting for these issues for American women it's interesting actually because I told I've told I talked about it um when I started at Glamour and I talked about like we've done a lot of coverage I've done a lot of interviews with um Secretary Clinton and women running for office and but there and and I, I you know we hosted glamour and i ho- co-hosted a a lunch at the vice president's house um but there has been no woman at the top of the mm-hmm. ticket like that has won the top of the ticket here and it's interesting to uh also in the world of media that it's only recently that you have like female anchors in prime time running prime time shows but that was not the same for me. I grew up in an Ireland where it was like Mary Robinson yeah. and Anne Doyle and like you just were surrounded by these fierce yeah. women or Veronica Guerin writing these brilliant mm-hmm. things. And I think it didn't, it, it never occurred to me that, um, especially when I looked at media and politics, that women couldn't be 
like the top of both of those things. And I think in the US, that's still in politics, there has been no pre like president. That's a woman, obviously. Crazy and woman. even in the world of media, mm -hmm. it's it, it was pretty male dominated um, for like the, the more serious stuff. Um, like thinking about like primetime anchors and stuff like that um, up until pretty recently. So yeah, it's interesting. I do think that feeds into like my strong, fierce, matriarchal, like, yeah. yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I love that and I see that and I'm like, and I've thought about that before. I've reflected on that. I'm like, that is absolutely something that you carry forward with you because you've seen it. You know, we always say like, when you see it, you can, you believe it. Mm, it's totally. the same thing. What's your ideal number when it comes to the hours of sleep you need to be at your best? Oh, okay. Um, I do like a seven hour sleep. Like if I can get a seven hour sleep, I'm nobody's getting it. I'm not getting an eight hour sleep. Like if I can get seven, I'm delighted. Like I have a friend who like can sleep in on Saturday, like a teenage boy till like 12 o'clock. And I'm just like so jealous. I also like I'm an early morning riser, but yeah, if I can get a solid seven, I'm happy. It's usually between five and, and you function obviously very well. But yeah, totally. And I'm not a napper. I wish I could nap too. I'm not. I trained napper, so I'm a five or six. I trained myself to nap. I can now nap. I okay. Yeah. I, maybe I need to start doing that because I just like I feel like there's definitely days I could do it in a mid oh <laughs> nap. Literally a fifteen minute, a ten to fifteen minute, and I don't necessarily <gasps> fully sleep. I do like I literally mm. lower Close. like my energy completely and i might sleep 30 yeah. seconds and i wake up and i'm like a new man um okay see so i'd be grabby as well no no i'm gonna teach you i'm gonna teach you okay quick, quick okay. fire questions for you what's your favorite time of day 6 a.m or like 5 30 like so it's either first thing in the morning or golden hour i like it uh your favorite number i think you said five already it is five yeah, yeah. i like five there's something better like how many coffees a day do you drink honestly usually one but sometimes if it's a bad day i can have and two. what's your coffee order now my Oh God, it's, I sound like an asshole. Like it is. <laughs> okay. It's a Starbucks. It's a grande caramel macchiato, extra hot, extra shot. One pump of vanilla instead of the four. Extra foam, extra caramel drizzle. <laughs> so I totally said that is honestly, that's my coffee order. God, I sound like a dickhead. Sorry. Please get that on a t-shirt. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Yeah. Cheese. I oh, love it. Uh, what does the world need more of? I think kindness and more cheese. <laughs> what age do you think you'll live until? I think 92 is kind of what I'm veering towards. Like, I don't think anything like that. We actually had a discussion at dinner the other day where like, would you, would you want to live to be 105? I was like, 92 is fine. That's, that's fine another 50 solid years. I know, I got a lot to do. I like do. it. Uh, and finally, what's the number that strikes the fear of God in you? Oh, do you know what? It's like when you go to the airport and it's like whatever, you know, when they, like when you're going through JFK and it's like, there's a 48 minute wait in immigration. You're like, no, and there's no bathroom. And it's usually like, there's no air conditioning and you're just standing there. So that, that number, when I'm walking off the plane and I go towards and I'm watching what that minute wait is, that, that some, if it's long, it's and that's why you need to be flying Aer Lingus out of Dublin and you pre-clear immigration. Yeah. And on that note, yeah. I love it. Samantha Barry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I wish you, oh, thank you continued success and I look forward to watching your journey as you just soar and soar. And I mean that not in a cheesy way. I'm very, very proud oh, of you. Thank you so much. This is so fun, by well, the way. Thank you. Thank you. 
What a powerhouse. I just love everything about Samantha and that conversation. So firstly, Samantha, thank you so much for your time. I know you were heading off to a glamorous event uh, the evening that we spoke, looking gorgeous as ever. If you want to keep up with Samantha and everything that she's getting up to, you can follow her on Instagram at Samantha Barry and also at Glamour Mag. Now, if you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review and a star rating. It really does help the podcast grow and for other people to find us. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of the number straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care.